you stay standing, if you would, please, for our uh, scripture reading today. Uh, this is from John 12, 17 to 19. This is when Jesus had just come into Jerusalem. And so it's like got a lot of responsive stuff in here as how people viewed Jesus and, and um, especially the religious leaders just um, it's interesting to note this. Let's read this together, shall we? John 12, 17 to 19. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We ask you to bless it today as we just think about Jesus and how he encounters people, especially on this journey to the cross. And so, God, we ask for grace and mercy. Open our eyes, our hearts, our minds, that we would see things clearly. And for that, we give you thanks. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, please, amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. <coughs> Anahushiana. Did you hear the word, by the way? Anahushiana. It's uh, Psalm 118 and 25. That's what the crowd would have chanted as Jesus came into Jerusalem. Ana means uh, we plead with you, we beseech you. Uh, Anahoshia uh, means save. Please save. And then Ana is once again the I beseech, I pray. So it's very strong. It's got bookends. Please, please do what? Save us. Strong, isn't it? Except by the time it got to Jesus, it didn't mean that at all. It just meant, uh, it just meant, woo, yeah, yay. It's, that's all it meant. It was just a kind of a word when dignitaries entered into to cities. And so, it's interesting that they were cutting palm fronds and, and waving them. Uh, it's the interesting thing about that is that they would have had to gotten them from Jericho uh, because Jerusalem doesn't have that uh, as far as the, the multitudes would have, have been able to cut down. And so what I want to do is I want to back us up a little bit and I want to see the entrance before the entrance. It's, this, it's the title of my sermon today. Uh, because I want us to see a, a engagement with Jesus with somebody and how that person responded, because that's really what the entrance to Jerusalem is all about. Today is, of course, the day that <coughs> excuse me, the church celebrates Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, also called <coughs> excuse me, the triumphal entry. The riding of the colt, the, the crowd chanting Hosanna, a number of prophetic fulfillments happened in this one event. But the most important decision that this prophetic action provokes is about identity. Who is this guy? What's the big deal? Why the crowds? Uh, why the palm fronds? That's, that has to do with high-level dignitaries or generals or very important people. And we don't know who this guy is. By the way, he's not riding on a horse. He's riding on a donkey. 
And so all kinds of pictures are, are reeling through people's minds as they remember synagogue readings, uh, thinking about who the Messiah is and what he was supposed to be, all those types of things. People were provoked into an opinion. Was he the Messiah? Yes, no, I don't know, maybe. By the way, those are all legitimate answers today. Who is Jesus? Is he the Messiah? Is he the Son of God? Yes, he is. No, he isn't. I don't know. I don't know, maybe. That's exploratory language, by the way. We, we still have those answers today in the church. Everybody's either being reminded of what their answer is this year or they're exploring and still exploring the answer that God has given his Son to us. All the answers that one would expect are in that diverse group of people and perhaps later we can explore those things in a more general way. But I want to look at the City of Palms again. I want to look at where the parade started. Jesus is in Jericho and he's passing through and he's going to Jerusalem. And the crowds are already forming at this time. They're moving from Jericho to Jerusalem. And that's why this is important to me, to, to stick, take a step back and see where's the party starting? Where's the movement happening? Something divine is taking place in Jerusalem. But more particularly, I'm looking at how are people responding to that? So I want you to look with me, please, at the Gospel of Luke, the 19th chapter. We've kind of brought in Luke 18, and now we're moving to 19. The passage immediately after this is Jesus riding into Jerusalem. So this is the entrance before the entrance. And it's so important for us to understand it. Jesus in Luke 19 and 1 says, Jesus entered Jer uh, Jericho and was passing through. I love this short statement of intent. You see, Jericho was not the destination. Jerusalem was the destination. Jericho was a stop on the way, but there are no wasted moments with Jesus, and there are certainly no wasted encounters with Jesus when he's on his way. This is my first point. We all have or had or, or are having a divine appointment with Jesus. We will all have that. Jesus will be presented to you. What are you going to do with him? Who do you say that he is? By the way, we're not his destination either. He's just passing through. He's heading towards actually the new Jerusalem. And we're not, however, wasted encounters when it comes to Jesus. We are his joy. We are his calling. And one of the things that I'm reminded of in this story that I mentioned with the kids is that if you're truly seeking after Jesus, he doesn't pass you by. He stops. He always pays attention to you. If you're truly seeking after him, he will not pass you by. And we see that evidenced again as we look at this particular passage of Scripture. Look with me at verse 2. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. I love how people are described sometimes. Zacchaeus was not just a despised tax collector for the Romans. He was a chief tax collector for the Romans, which meant either 
he was in a principled city, which Jericho was, or he was the chief over other tax collectors. Either one of those descriptions will fit him. And if you remember, during the time of Jesus, Judea was under Roman rule, and the Romans exacted heavy taxes from all who lived there. So wealthy Jewish citizens would bid for positions to be those particular tax collectors. And it was a very lucrative deal. You see, they found out what the taxes are from Rome. They add a little bit on top, a little cushion. And then when it went to go to the, the, the uh, Roman procurators, they would take a little more. So this was a, this was a cash cow <laughs> where already wealthy people were becoming even more wealthy but it did come at a very high cost because anybody who worked with the Romans, especially in the area of taxation, was a traitor and a conspirator with Rome. So you might have been a Jew, but you weren't a Jew. And the other ramification to this was because you aligned yourself with the pagans, you were not allowed to go to the synagogue. So if you put those things side by side, Wealth and God, guess what these people chose? Cash. They wanted wealth. They had nothing to do with God. Yahweh was not important. Synagogue life was not important. Making money was important. That's what drove these individuals, and that's what describes the man that's before us. Notice what Zacchaeus does in verses 3 and 4, though. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Zacchaeus could have stayed home. He could have left and gone to a neighboring town to get away from the crowds. But he didn't do that. Part of the salvation process that the Father puts in us is a desire, a heart for Jesus. We may not understand what that is. We may not know who this is. But God puts something in us. Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes 3, that God has set in every person this place called eternity. We're all kind of drawn to that. It results in some type of effort on a person's part to explore who this Jesus is. A person might say, yeah, you know, yeah, I'll go along with you to that church musical coming up Sunday. I'm not a real churchgoer, but I'll go to that. By the way, that's my exhortation to you. Some people won't set foot in a church, but if you invite them to a non-church thing in a church, eh, they might come to that. So invite Invite your neighbors. Let them say no. A person might say yes to going to a Christian concert at Santander Arena or to home or to a work Bible study. They might land on a Christian radio station or simply seek out a Christian neighbor to talk to. <clears throat> There's some element of interest, whether great or small, in a person's heart that draws them to the person of Jesus. And they take, however small, they take that step forward to who he is. And here's where this gets really good. Look with me at verse 5. When Jesus reached that spot, 
he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Do you think that's a divine appointment? I got a feeling there were a whole bunch of people hanging out of trees that day. Just as there were probably a number of people at the pool of Bethesda, and Jesus only sought out one of those men. There's a divine appointment that God has with people. And sometimes it's now, sometimes it's later, sometimes it's much later. And for Zacchaeus, it was now. When he reached that very spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. I wonder if the Spirit of God on his journey said, hey, make sure you look up into a tree. There's this guy there with this colored robe. He looks like this. He's a little guy. He's the man. I wonder if the Spirit of God said that to Jesus because he was looking for something. He was looking for him in particular. It's the crucial point in Zacchaeus' life. He's having a divine encounter with Jesus and Jesus is offering to be a part of his life. It's a divine invitation to enter his house, into his life, his family. But Zacchaeus has to make a decision. See, this is a yes, no, I don't know, maybe event. Because Zacchaeus could have said all of those, by the way. Jesus doesn't make you come to him. Do you all know that? He invites you. It's an invitation. It's a pull that God has on you, but it's an invitation. And this is an invitation to a man in a tree. Come on down. I'm going to stay at your house today. You're not staying at my house today. I don't know who you are. I'm not religious. I don't want anything to do with that. Next. All right. That's not what Zacchaeus said, though, is it? Not at all. Look with me, please. So he came down at once, and he welcomed him gladly. That was the response. What will you do with me, Zacchaeus? Jesus asked. I think I'm going to say yes to this guy. And I'm not quite sure what that means. But I have a feeling I'm going to find out. I will receive you, Lord. I'll obey your command and receive you to myself and to my home. Oh, by the way, this is more than Middle Eastern hospitality. This was actually a transformation of heart. This always amazes me because I can't see it. I can't see what God does here or here. Does that make sense? God does something in the invisible part of me, in my soul and in spirit, but it's absolutely amazing. He takes me from here and he puts me in here. He takes me from the kingdom of darkness and somehow he moves me immediately into the kingdom of light. And I can't tell you how he does that. He just does. That's the power of God to change like that. And how do I know that? Because I've got an example right here before me where God changed somebody in a heartbeat. This is not well, I've had somebody invite himself to my home, so I'm going to go ahead and just oblige him socially. This was salvation, and it was a picture of what Jesus can do with the most detestable person if they repent and open their heart to Jesus. Why do you think he chose him? Jesus didn't look out about the crowd, or the Holy Spirit of God didn't seek out over the crowd and find the, the best, the, the most reputable, uh, the most... 
uh, faithful synagogue person in the crowd. He chose the worst, the wretched, the one that was hated the most because Jesus is going to teach them what God does and how he can transform the worst sinner into someone who is saved and in a right place with God. Of course, not everyone's happy about this or understanding the situation. Look with me at verse 7, if you would. All the people saw this and began to do what? I can't believe I can't believe that guy took him in the house. That person, you know who this guy is? He's a tax collector. He's, he can't even be around this guy. He's going to defile himself. He's a rabbi. He even gets so close, he's unclean. He can't even do services. Well, this guy clearly doesn't know who this guy is. I don't know what I'm muttering so much. Murmur, 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 murmur. What does I call that? An onomatopoeia? Is that what that is? Sounds like the word. Mutter, murmur. That's what was going on all around them. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. The, the interesting thing, the funny thing about this is that Zacchaeus would have been the first one to agree. Isn't that interesting? Absolutely. Don, I'm the worst. And so would have Jesus, by the way. He knew the man's heart. It's probably why the Spirit of God chose him. The heartbreaking part of this is that the people who were muttering didn't see their own sin and spiritual brokenness. That's the, that's the danger of salvation. The danger of salvation is, uh, wow, that person really needs to get saved. Well, what about you? Well, I'm good. I, I, don't, I, I haven't done anything bad. I, I, think, uh, you know, I think when I get to heaven, God's uh, going to weigh out my stuff, and I'm going to have a lot more good stuff than bad stuff. You know that doesn't work in heaven, by the way. Because all your good stuff is bad stuff and all your bad stuff is really bad stuff and you're not going to get in. That's not how this works. That's why Jesus came. That's why the triumphal entry of Jesus is so important. It's why his beginning in Jericho is so important because we see a man who so desperately needed Jesus coming to him because Jesus draws and men receive or reject They didn't understand that Jesus came for broken people. Jesus himself said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the what, church? It's the sick people that need them. He was essentially saying that people who are self-righteous don't need help being right with God. They can do it themselves. But the sick, those who know that they have no righteous before God, know that they have a need. Only God can heal. Nothing to What's that old song, Rock of Ages? Nothing to the cross I bring, only to, how's that go? It's in my brain, I can't get it out. Somebody look it up, I'll get it later. All right, that's all right. How do we know that Zacchaeus was not just being culturally kind? I, this, I love how the scriptures lie this, lay this out. Look with me at the next verse in eight. How do we know that this is not just Middle Eastern hospitality, by the way, it would have been, but it's not. We've got evidence of something that's taking place. But Zeke, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated any, anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. True salvation, true, truly being born again, a new creation in Jesus will manifest itself in the fruit that will immediately bear there's an immense sense of making things right with God and with others. 
And by the way, Jesus never asked him to do anything, did he? He didn't demand. See, that would be law. But this is grace. The man just came and received Jesus. But because he did that, one of those things, again, I can't see. Something happened within that man. Something that would have never been noticed before. This is important. Jesus never asks a person to do anything except repent of one's sins and to embrace the gift of Jesus. Also note that Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. He's going there, but he's not there. It was what we call an Old Testament conversion. This man believed in Jesus as the Messiah. He believed that he was the anointed one of God, and he obeyed him. Just like Abraham, his faith was credited to him as righteousness, limited and imperfect as it was. He opened his heart, and the Spirit of Christ came in. God honored his faith, and that faith, like Abraham's, resulted in a life of righteous fruit. Zacchaeus was remorseful, remorseful for his past sins. He confessed publicly his willingness to forego wealth as his God. Once again, Jesus did not ask him to do that. He didn't demand that he enter into poverty. He chose to live with generosity to those on the heart of God, the poor. Jesus didn't demand that he make restitution to those he cheated. Zacchaeus simply chose to get things right with those he swindled. Both were a witness to a man's life who changed because of the encounter with Jesus. I find this interesting as well. When a person comes to know Jesus, he doesn't want anything left over in his life that's going to hinder his witness. I know I've been known for this, but I've come to know Jesus, so guess what I'm going to be known for now? This. I know I was a cheat and a swindler, but I'm going to be generous and giving and I'm going to treat everybody with respect and honesty. If the Romans de decide that this is the amount of tax are received, that's the amount of tax I'm going to charge. No more. I'm going to be a different person because I've encountered Jesus in my life. That's what's so wonderful about this entrance before the entrance to Jerusalem. That's why Jesus responded to Zacchaeus in the manner that he did in our closing two verses in 9 and 10, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That's the message. It's why Jesus entered Jericho. It's why Jesus on this day enters Jerusalem to seek and to save the lost. There may be one or two of you here today that do not know Jesus. Today is a, di a divine appointment for you. Are you interested in seeing him? Would you climb a tree? Would you at least go to the balcony? Are you seeking him? You will be found. And Jesus is going to ask you a very important question. What will you do with me? Will you believe that I am the Messiah of Israel, the anointed one of God, the son of God, who came into this world to die for your sins, to rise again so that you might conquer death and have everlasting life with God? 
Are you like the Apostle Paul who said, I am the chief of sinners? Do you realize your desperate need for a Savior? It was the question that was posed when Jesus entered Jericho. By the way, it was the same question that was posed to the crowd on this day, on Palm Sunday when they entered Jerusalem. Who do you say Jesus is? And how will you respond when he calls your name? Yes? No? I don't know. Maybe. Where are you at today? That's a good question to search out as we close. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this journey that he's making to the cross. And thank you, Father, that he pays attention to those who truly seek after him. If we seek, we will be found, Father. He will not turn anyone away, even the most wretched sinner, like Zacchaeus, or like one of his own disciples, Matthew. And so God, he has this amazing love that he wants to extend to us. And my prayer is that if there is one here today that has never embraced Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they would do so today. Are you seeking him today? Because he's seeking after you. And you will be found. And so, Father, we pray that. I, a very simple prayer today, Lord, if someone here and you, and you don't know wh what to pray or how to pray, perhaps just this simple prayer of faith. Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm broken before you. I know that I fall short of your glory and of your moral laws. I, I'm sure that you could point out multitudes of things where I have violated the law of God. And I just am coming to say, you're right. Please forgive me. I embrace your son Jesus today because I know that I can't do anything to make this right. So I trust him because he said he died for me, that he came to seek the lost and to save them. And I need that, Father. So I embrace Jesus as my Lord and my Savior today. And I pray that you'll do the same change in me that you did with Zacchaeus, that you'll clean my life up, Lord. Not so that I can be right with you, but because I am right with you because of what Jesus has done for me. So, Father, bless me, I pray, and I thank you for my salvation. Father, for those of us who have done that, oh, Lord, would you just remind us that we are changed people? And remind us that we have said yes. Remind us that we would have been part of the crowd that waved our palms and cried out Hosanna, but with the true meaning in Psalm 118 and 25. Please save us, please. And you heard that prayer, and we're so thankful. Bless us as your people today as we remember this last week of Jesus' life. May we gather together on multiple times this week to encourage each other to be reminded of what Jesus has done. And for that, we give you thanks today. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, please, amen. Thank you, church. If we can pray for you this morning, come on up front. Uh, we'll be up here afterwards. If not, head to Beatrice Hall, grab a good cup of coffee and something to eat and some good fellowship.